And so, let's go ahead and pray and dig in. Father, we honor you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Insight. Lord, I thank you that you're helping us connect dots that need to be connected to see things that need to be seen. Lord, that our eyes are seeing eyes and our ears are listening ears and our hearts are receptive hearts, receptive to the seed of the word of God tonight. We believe it and we thank you, Lord, for doing a great work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's uh, read a little scripture first as we get started. First of all, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, and and Lord knows this is something that every believer has to have in their arsenal, because we live by this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And uh, God made a statement uh, in the presence of Noah and his family after the flood, that, that as long as the earth remains, that cold and heat and summer and winter and seed time and harvest will not cease. Well, that's true naturally speaking, as far as you planting your tomatoes and all your other good veggies and fruit and so on. But, but it's also true for our actions and our words and our giving. Everything is a seed of some kind. Amen. So whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We see that. But I want you to read this. This is Proverbs 26 too, but this is out of the, the King James Bible. It says, as the bird by wandering and as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. And so what this implies is that if the curse comes, there is a cause for the curse coming. And that word uh, come is uh, actually translated in in some translations as the word alight, A-L-I-G-H-T, which really is kind of like a bird landing. So so if you don't want the, the curse to be flying by and land on the branch at your house, then uh, uh, what we want to do is we don't want to provide a cause that would allow the curse entrance. We, we don't want to allow an open door. Amen. Yeah. Now let's also read out of 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, we'll start reading with verse 27 here. Um, very uh, common uh, scripture that, that we read, especially when we're sharing the Lord's table together. Verse 27 says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30 says, for this reason, The original King James of that says, for this cause, for this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So do you want to know what we're going to talk about? 
For the next three Wednesday nights, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to talk about causes. Causes. Because there are causes, reasons why things happen. But we're going to break it down like this, just to kind of set you up for how we're going to deal with this. Um, We're going to talk about tonight what people think are causes that are really not causes according to the Bible. You see, people have theories. And, and, you know, like those those little things that they'll just kind of pull out at a a funeral or if, if somebody's having a rough time, and little cliches that they say that that can sound scriptural, that can even and sometimes they can quote a reference by which they get their theory, but but it's not in line with the the whole entire scope of what the scripture teaches. So in other words, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to expose uh, the traditions, uh, the sacred cows. And uh, in the words of the founding pastor of this house, sacred cows make good hamburger. Come on. So we're going to grind them up, and we're doing some grilling tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about what people think are causes that are really not the causes. We're going to talk about some of the traditional ideas of why things happen. But then next week, we're going to talk about the actual causes, things that the Bible clearly identifies as causes of why things happen. Why a, a, uh, uh, a premature death may take place, why, why, why a sickness may take place, uh, why a, even a financial problem may take place, why uh, a, a tragedy of various kinds can take place. There, there's a lot of answers in the Word and a, a lot of ways that, that we can take some preventive medicine. And then on the last Wednesday of this month, on our third and final Wednesday, we're going to talk about this. How to think correctly and respond correctly when you don't know the cause. Uh, Can I have a witness? How to think correctly and respond correctly when you don't know what the cause is. All right? So, are you ready to take this trip with me? You know, uh, it's interesting. Jesus said, uh, addressing the religious leaders of his day, that, uh, that they were making the word of God of no effect because of their traditions. Now, think about this. We're talking about the word of God. Woo! I mean, we're talking about forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word, Jesus said, will never pass away. We're talking about the sword of the spirit. We're talking about the very thing that was spoken and created the worlds, created the whole universe, created you and me. And yet, Jesus, who was the living word, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the, the Word made flesh, said that the Word of God can be made of no effect because of tradition. I mean, it's almost like, woo, if Jesus didn't say that, I won't be sure about that. But, but the living word said that himself. So that's why I think it's important for us to, to look at some things and, and, and some things that, that, that are, uh, you know, traditions, things that are kind of common cliches, <coughs> common things that are uh, spoken about and talked about in, in church settings that may not necessarily be the whole truth. Ron, can you hook me up with some H2O, brother? Thank you. Uh, but by, by the way, I want to share this with you. And this is a very important thing to get, is that if you have a little bit of truth, but you don't have the whole truth, you still have a lie. Because the Word of God, as He speaks it, as He declares it, is 100% truth, no additives, no preservatives, no high fructose corn syrup. Come on. Hey. <laughs> so are you ready? Let, let's talk about some sacred cows tonight. And one of the first ones I want to talk to you about is that God is controlling everything. I mean, hey, we, we've all heard it. And probably most of us have said it. But I want to examine it. I want to examine that in the light of the word. And before you pick up stones to throw at me, let's take an honest look at things, all right? So this tradition that God is controlling everything, which is usually presented in one of two ways. Either that God originates everything, or that, well, God originates the good stuff and Satan originates the evil stuff, but has to get God's approval before he can do his dirty work. How many of you have ever come across any kind of thinking like that before? For instance, the idea of, well, well maybe God did not do this, but, but, but God allowed it. As a matter of fact, very recently I was in the presence of someone who was going through some absolutely hellacious physical symptoms. And, and in, the, in the process of doing so, made this statement, Lord, I know that nothing can come to me except it filters through your hands first. And so she was saying, well, Lord, I know this may not be directly from you, but, but, but it, had, it had to get by you to get to me. And, and I thought for a minute, and if there's one thing that's part of my DNA I am very zealous to make sure that my heavenly father is represented accurately and spoken of accurately. And when somebody talks about my heavenly father in a way where if he was a person, we'd have to call DCYF. There is a problem. Because my heavenly father is not a child abuser. 
and the instincts that we as men and women have. Parental instincts. Where do you think you got those from? You got them from him. Because we were created in his image and in his likeness. So that very nurturing, caring, that very something in you that would want to eliminate sickness from off your child and not put sickness on your child, that very thing inside of you that would long to do that, where did you get it from? You got it from God. And then besides that, if the father's like that, then we need to we, we, we need to say, well, what about the ministry of Jesus? What about the ministry of Jesus, one of whom it is said in Hebrews 1 that, that he's the, the perfect outshining, the express image of the Father? One who, who based his whole ministry on this, I only say what I hear my Father say, and I only do what I hear my Father do. Or what would I see my father do? So the, the ministry of Jesus, if he's telling the truth when he says that, and if God's really like what some people tell you he's really like, then we need to say, well, th- there's got to be a disconnect s- somewhere here because when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you don't see him acting the way some people tell you God is like. And you see, there is no disagreement within the Trinity. As a matter of fact, let me tell you, there there is unity in the Trinity. The word Trinity itself means tri-unity. That's how the word is formed. So, So God the Father and God the Son are on the same page. Which means if you can look at the ministry of Jesus and rather than seeing Jesus doing stuff to people, he's actually removing those things from people. Rather than him afflicting people with stuff, he's actually freeing them from their affliction. And if he's really telling the truth that he's doing what he sees the Father does, then that's got to tell us something, that the Father must not be like what some people been telling you he's like. Vroom, vroom. Come on, I feel... I feel good tonight. So, who's running things here on earth? Let's ask that question and let's take a look, all right? Let's be honest. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Literally, in the Hebrew, a little lower than Elohim. One of the Lord's names. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And the best way I can describe it to you would be to say that the Lord created an automobile, in a sense, 
planet earth and gave the keys to man. Because God, fully knowing what he was doing, and is, is God sovereign? Yeah, and he made a sovereign decision that he's going to turn the keys over to man. And he did this. He gave this kind of dominion to Adam. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet. Well, then the next question is to say, what happened? What happened? <laughs> so let's find out what happened. And this is something that's revealed to us in one of the, the moments in Jesus' temptation when the devil came to tempt Jesus. Luke chapter 4, we'll start with verse 5. And it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Now, first time I heard this preached on, the preacher said, the devil was lying to Jesus. He really didn't have this stuff. But then I heard a little bit more preaching on this. And I thought, well, if, if the devil was lying to Jesus about this, and that he really didn't have this to offer him, then it looks like Jesus went along with a lie. And I can't imagine my Jesus going along with a lie. If he didn't say anything to speak against that or correct that right on the spot and say, you can't offer it to me anyhow, then, then, then that, that would lead me to believe there has to be some truth to that. And we know this, it's not that the, the devil can't speak the truth, it's that when he does, there's always a curveball to it. You know, it's kind of like, well, the angels are going to protect you, so go ahead and jump. You know what I'm saying? So it's true that the angels will protect you. The devil quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus, and then he tried to use it as an excuse to get Jesus to jump. So, so it's not that the devil can't say something that's true, but there's always a curveball with it. So, so here's the devil saying something that is true, but the curveball is go ahead, bow down to me, and I'll give it all to you. So. Who do you think delivered it to him? He said, it's been delivered to me. Who do you think delivered it? Well, Adam did. Adam did. Genesis chapter 3, the great tragedy of the human race, the great tragedy of human history. Because Adam we read about the dominion that he had, that he got from God. We read that in Psalm 8, just a few minutes ago. And he turned over the keys. He had the keys, turned over the keys to the serpent. Now, is this, if this was the only thing in Scripture that insinuated such a thing, or just outright said such a thing, then you say, well, that's only one witness. But there's more than one witness. Second yeah. Corinthians 4. And verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, 
whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this is referring to Satan as the God of this age. Little g. Check this out, John 12, 31. Jesus made this statement. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So it's interesting. This old serpent, once he had some keys turned over to him, is now in a position of being the God of the sage and the ruler of this world. Jesus used that same term again in John fourteen thirty, where he said, I will no longer uh, talk much with you for the ruler of, the, of this world is coming and he's got nothing on me. We see Paul referring in Ephesians 2, 2 to, to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And John in his epistle in the fifth chapter in the 19th verse says this, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But remember that little term that, that Satan used in the temptation? If you can go back to uh, Luke 4 real quick. Uh, that second verse in Luke 4, uh, verse 6. You see, uh, no, actually, verse 5, I'm sorry. You were right the first time. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Notice that, kingdoms of the world. You want to see something else that the Bible says about the kingdoms of the world? And this will actually illustrate what we're saying even further. Revelation 11, verse 15. Oh, this is Bible study tonight, y'all. Woo, yeah. Check this out. So, so th this is at the end. Glory to God. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world. Oh, we were just talking about that, weren't we? The kingdoms of this world have become... The kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This verse here lets us know that there's, there's a lease on the automobile. This is not permanent ownership. The ruler of this world, the God of this age, who has the keys right now, uh, uh, so, so to speak, uh, uh, of, of this world uh, and uh and, and uh, um, uh, you know, the, the keys representing the authority, the, the keys representing his, his rulership, as Jesus referred to him twice as the ruler of this world, the ruler of the world system. But, but you see, this lease has a lease on it. Because this is not long term, forever and ever and ever. There is coming a day when the very same kingdoms of the world that, that the, the enemy offered to Jesus, if Jesus were to bow down to him, Jesus is going to get them, but Jesus is going to get them a different way. Those kingdoms of the world are going to be turned over to the Lord Jesus Christ at the end. And I'm glad to tell you that the one who is trying to run things into the ground right now is not going to be allowed to rule things forever. There is coming a day, glory to God, when, when he's being put out, when he's being locked up, when he's going into the lake of fire and he's going to bake in the lake. Hallelujah.
So there's a day coming. And thank God. And he knows it too. Did you ever realize hmm, that, that one of the times when, when Jesus was dealing with a demon-possessed person and the demon spoke back, he said, are you come to torment us before the time? You ever notice that? It's amazing what you notice when you read the Bible. But even the enemy himself knows there's a time coming when when the the, the lease that he has on things is going to run out and he's not going to go ahead and be able to, to operate and function in that role anymore. He's toast. He's done. He's over. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, Let's talk about another thing. And of course, I went through all that just to illustrate that, that, that even, even though the, the, the Lord ultimately, in, in, the, in the ultimate sense, you might say, where, where, the, where the, the Lord is ultimately in control of how the story is going to end. Yet, yet at the same time, we see that right now in this world, you, you see, this is not a very good reflection on the Lord if this is the Lord running things. And he's obviously not running things in your life all the time. Because if he was, there, there'd be that movie you didn't go see last week and you would have paid your tithes last week too. So if the Lord's running things, well, is he, is he making you do everything you're supposed to do? So we, we just need to go ahead and take the time to honestly answer some questions. And that's what I want to do tonight. So let's go to another one. So some kind of sudden incident happened, sickness, death, tragedy. And someone says, well, it must have been God's will for this thing to happen to you. And the insinuation there is that, well, it happened, so therefore it had to be God's will because it happened. And, you know, for, for instance, I prayed and I didn't get something. So therefore, the Lord didn't want me to have it. See, I'm, I'm not telling you something you've, you've never heard before. If you've never heard this stuff before, you're blessed. You're very blessed. But most of you I know have heard this stuff before. But, but here's the thing. God's will cannot be determined by whether a prayer is quote-unquote answered or not. God's will must be determined by what he said. And then in prayer... We're instructed in 1 John 5, 14 and 15 to pray according to the will of God, which means we're praying according to what he said, because what he said must be what he wants, and what he wants is what he wills. And if he doesn't want it, what he said for it to begin with. You know, I've always looked at it this way. Uh, Rich, if I don't want you going to my house, I ain't giving you my address. But if I'm giving you my address, then there's something there that says I'm... Uh, and if I give you a roadmap that shows you a point A to point B, this is how to get to my house, then you would agree, well, then I must want to go there. 
Uh, but, but I'm puzzled that, that, that there are folks who've said that, well, this is something that God doesn't want you to have. That, that's not God's will. Or sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But I have a problem with that because I can look and find a road map. I can find a map where God said, you want this? This is what to do. This is where you go and this is how you go about getting it. And so if he's going to go ahead and lay out a roadmap for me to how to get the thing, he must, he absolutely must want me to have it. And he wants you to have it too. Hallelujah. But God's will cannot be determined strictly by an outcome. And I got to tell you why. Because not every outcome is God's desired outcome. And I'm going to show that to you in the Holy Bible tonight. Not every outcome is God's desired outcome. So, you know, when something happens, somebody says, well, it must have been the Lord's will. And just on the basis that it happened. But we're going to see there's some things that happened that weren't what the Lord wanted to happen. As a matter of fact, why do you think that Jesus told us to pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And I'll tell you why. Because the, the will of God's doing just fine in heaven. It's unhindered. Everybody's cooperating. But on earth, yeah, we need some prayer here on earth. Check this out. This is Matthew 23, verse 37. This is Jesus standing in, in front of the, the view of the city of Jerusalem and weeping over the city and making this statement. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Here is the desire of the, the heart of God to gather these as chicks under his wings. But they were not willing. This is a case where the Lord's willing, but the people were not willing. And so, therefore, there was something that the Lord really wanted to do. But just because he really wanted to do it, and just because it really, he really wanted it to be that way, did not mean that it automatically got done, because in this case, it didn't. And, and I understand the idea of saying, Lord willing. You know, in yielding your will to the Lord's will and doing what Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. I'm with that all day long. But, but the thing is, is that some people take that to an extreme. Like, like the, the person uh, years back, I don't know what they thought after I said this to them. Uh, he, I said, hey man, I'll see you Sunday morning, right? He said, Lord willing. And I, I felt a little... Uh, What's the word? Uh, um, I can't think of the word right now. But, but anyhow, I was misbehaving a little bit. I said, hey, what if he's willing and you're not? <laughs> 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 but, 
But that's a good question to ask. What if he's willing and you're not? In this case here, he was willing, they weren't. The thing he wanted to do did not get done. Can we take a walk a little bit further? Mark chapter 6. Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. And, and you know, they're, they're saying, we, we know your mama, we know your daddy, we know your sister, we know James, yeah, brother James, oh yeah, we know him. We know your cousins, we know, we know your whole family, who do you think you are? And so because of Jesus being rejected there, this happened. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now my question for you is this, do you think that he wanted to do some mighty works? No, seriously. Do you think he wanted to? Well, this says that he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And verse 6 shows the reason why, which I I know I didn't give that to you all. But verse 6 goes on to say, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So are you with me on this? Let's look at another. Second Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You've got God Almighty who is not willing, does not will for any, not one single person to perish. And yet I have to tell you, and it hurts me to have to tell you, there have people Uh, There have been people who have perished this very day. There are people who are perishing this very hour, leaving planet Earth and going into eternity in hell. And God is not willing that that should happen. And God went miles to provide a way where it wouldn't need to happen. But if it's not received, it's still going to happen. And it's a manifestation of something that God wants not getting done. So can we mess with a few more cows? How about this one? Well, it was their time. You heard that before? Now, now he, here's the thing, the, the, uh, and the, there's an element of truth to somebody who has ran their race, finished the, the work God gave them to do, and say, all right, like Paul said, I've, I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, I'm ready to go. But at the same time, A lot of times people have thought about that in terms that there's this preordained time that when your number's up, your number's up, and ain't nothing you can do about it. How many of you have heard that kind of thinking before? So, let's examine this. A lot lot of times uh, people have gotten it from this verse here, Hebrews 9.27, that says, that it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. 
But that does not specify that there's an appointed time. It just says that it's appointed that you will die once and after that is the judgment, meaning that everybody at one point, unless the Lord comes first, you will die at some point. Now, although God knows when that is, it is not that he has pre-programmed that time. He just knows the end from the beginning. You see, because if you were locked into a time that was your time and there's nothing you could do about it, then it wouldn't be possible for you to do things that would shorten or lengthen your life. And yet the Bible is crystal clear that there are things that you can do that will shorten or lengthen your life. Let's look at a few. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. That means make your days longer, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. One that's not up there, Psalm 55, 23, says that bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall live out half their days. Ecclesiastes seven seventeen, It says, do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? And someone will say, well, see that, Pastor Ray? There is a time. Why, see, why should you die before your time? But, 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 but the thing is, is that read the rest of the verse. It is that do not be overly wicked nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Which means if you're doing things that are wicked and doing things that are foolish, then they can actually have you die earlier than your time. So you're making my point. All right. Proverbs 9, 10, 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. And I'm just reading a few. There's more than that. But we need to throw this in because this was our theme for Vacation Bible School last week. Psalm 34, verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. But you see, who's this addressed to? This is addressed to a man who desires life and loves many days. So if you want a few days, then go ahead and say whatever you want. But if you want to to be around loving many days... Go ahead and boom, button up. Because they're talking about what you do with your tongue. And this is not just Old Testament either, because Peter quotes it. Oh, Lord. So are we having fun yet? Can we keep on going? All right. God must have caused this so he could get glory from it. You heard that one too, huh? God must have caused this so that he could get glory out of it. And the, the, the very common scripture that is used to come up with such a theory is John chapter 11. Let's take a look there. It's right at the beginning of the account of Lazarus. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, the, the interesting thing is that what Jesus is addressing, and I'd like to submit this to you tonight, is that Jesus is not addressing the, the cause of the sickness, but what the end result of the sickness is going to be. And I believe that we can see that very clearly as we take a look at another verse in the same chapter. Look at verse 40. And I believe this is, uh, well, it's one of the sisters, either Martha or Mary, Jesus is speaking to here. He said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, at this point, Lazarus was already sick. So they saw him sick. There wasn't no glory in that. At this point here, Lazarus was also dead. Ain't no glory in that. But Jesus was saying that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Well, when do you think they actually got to see the glory of God? Was it when he was sick or when he was dead? Or was it when he came out of that tomb? Come on, somebody. It's when he came out of the tomb. Because you see, you, you got to understand this. That, that, that as long as there's eternity, God's going to get glory. And he's going to be glorified over and over and over and over again. But, but we got to understand that according to Scripture, that after the devil gets locked up, there's no more pain. So if there ain't no more pain the sickness around, it, it, uh, well, how's the Lord going to get glory then? If there are no more problems, no more trials, is it possible for the Lord to still get glory uh, even if we're, uh, we're not in the middle of trials and suffering? Absolutely. He's going to get glorified forever and ever through eternity. Glory be to God. Check this out. Um, and and I'll, I'll just give these references to you. You can write them down if you like. This is Luke five twenty-four through 26. And uh, uh, that's where the, there was a paralyzed man was healed. He took up his bed and it said he departed to his own house glorifying God. Now that's glorifying to God. Not when he was lying on the bed, but, but when he was walking with the bed. Hallelujah. Now you, as a, as a son and daughter of God, can glorify God while you're lying on the bed. But, but the thing that we need to distinguish here is that it's you, the son or daughter of God, who's glorifying your father. It's not that thing that the enemy put on you to try to take you out. You see the difference, all right? In Luke 13, 12 through 17, that was the woman that was bowed over for 18 years, could never get herself straightened out. Jesus said, woman, you're loosed. From your infirmity, he laid his hands on her and said she was immediately made straight and glorified God. Hallelujah. You see, talking talk about glorifying God always has to do not with 
the condition itself, but when the condition is gone and the person is free from the condition. We see that with Lazarus. We see that with these other instances that I gave you the reference to. By the way, that last one was Luke 13, 12 to 17. So can we mess with a little bit more? I won't keep you too late, but I, I, I want to see, see if I can at least fit one more in here. How about this one? Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And, and, and the thing is, is that what, that is a true statement, believe it or not, but it's not true in the way most people mean it. See, most people mean it when, well, there, there's a master puppeteer up in the sky who's just pulling all the strings right on schedule and must have had a, a reason for pulling that string at that time. But I want to let you know, yeah, it happens for a reason, but it may not be God's reason. Because the thief has a reason for trying to steal from you. And his reason is very different from God's reason. As a matter of fact, John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Yeah, all that stuff happens for a reason. But I can guarantee you the I in that verse who is Jesus, his reason and the thief's reason ain't the same reason. Oh, yeah, somebody's light bulb went on. Bling, praise the Lord. And, of course, uh, a very common verse and a verse that is just glorious and wonderful. Romans eight twenty eight, which says, And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But it's interesting is that the, the, that, that verse itself does not say that everything happens for a reason. It says this, that God can work all things together for someone who loves him, Someone who's called according to his purpose. And in the context of where Romans 8, 28 is, and context is important in Scripture, I believe that part of the context reveals somebody who is actually uh, uh, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in their prayer life. And it's interesting that we can just throw that out there. Oh, everything worked together for good. Well, what's your prayer life like? You know, are you allowing the Lord to help that weakness that you're not able, you don't know what to pray for as you are, as verse 26 says? Are you allowing that to happen where the Lord can help you in your prayer life and enable you to pray things out that need to be prayed out? How is your prayer life? Because I got to, if we're going to read that in context, then we got to think that the two might be connected. And we kind of put that out there as a one size fits all. When, when uh, we, we really need to realize that, that it, this is for people that love God, this is for people that are called according to his purpose, and this is for people that in the context of that verse are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in prayer. You know, you've heard this before. God put me in the hospital so he could use me to witness to the person in the bed next to mine. And of course, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the reference that the people would use for that kind of thinking is in Genesis 50, 
where, where Joseph made the statement at the end of everything that happened to him. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And thank God for that. Yet at the same time, listen to this statement. The fact that God is the master at taking lemons and making lemonade does not mean that he gave you the lemons to begin with. As a matter of fact, when I went to Bible school, and I just got to see my buddy a few weeks ago, Byron August, who's a wonderful guy. Uh, uh, he's from the bayou in Louisiana. Uh, and uh, been serving uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries for a long time, instructor at uh, Raymond Bible Training College, wonderful guy. But I remember when, when him and I were in Bible school together, and one day th- there was this uh, outing for, for uh, the, the members of our class, and he's making gumbo. <laughs> now, now the question was not what is in it, the question was, what's not in it? Because he had about everything in there. I mean, that, that pot had to be, I mean, that wasn't a pot. That was a vat he was working with. And I mean, it had everything but mama's old shoes in there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, the, the, the ingredients, the gumbo, you just throw in there whatever you want to throw in there. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Cajun, so I, I can't totally testify, but I'm just telling you what I observed. And and if anybody ever told you the devil was a Cajun, well, then he's a jumbo liar. Come on now. Hey. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting because all this stuff was in there. Well, what, what does God do with the gumbo? The gumbo of life. You got stuff in the pot that God didn't put in the pot. You got stuff in the pot that was not ordained by God. God didn't request it. God didn't want it for you because it was harmful to you. Yet at the same time, God can work somehow with ingredients that he did not ordain, did not command to be put in the pot, And yet he can make your pot of gumbo taste like something good. How is that possible? Because God is just flat out amazing somebody. Praise him. Hallelujah. So so what what the point is, is this. That, that the fact is that God can take your lemons and make lemonade does not mean that he gave you the lemons. Does not mean that those lemons were preordained by him. All right? As a matter of fact, you know, God could have just instructed you to go ahead and visit a certain hospital room and talk to somebody. He didn't have to break your leg to put you in the bed next to them. It could have been just as simple as getting a direction and going. Kind of like Ananias over in Acts chapter 9. Jesus said, go to the street called straight and look for a man named Saul of Tarsus. He's praying and you need to lay your hands on him. Now I tell you, something like that sure seems a whole lot more simple to me than having to get my leg broken. (laughs) Hey, oh Lord. 
But as we close, you know, it's interesting that, that you know, the, the, the common phrase that, that's often used is that uh, something is a blessing in disguise. But I want you to know, can God turn things around? Absolutely. Thank God again. Is God masterful and proficient at that? Yes, he is. I think we can testify. But, but at the same time, and let me leave you with this thought, let us not get mixed up and call a blessing a curse and a curse a blessing. Let's call a curse a curse and a blessing a blessing. Let's have a clear line of delineation. Life and life abundantly must be him. Stealing, killing, and destroying must be him. Notice I'm pointing down now. Let's go ahead and have that line of delineation, that line of demarcation that can separate between what we should be receiving and what we should be resisting. When it comes from things from God, you receive from God. What does the Bible say to do with the devil? You don't receive, you resist. And the thing is, is that we have mixed it up and nobody has known where the line is between what's God and what's the devil. And, and so we've had people that are just yielding and submitting and saying, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And they're doing that to the point when the devil's just beating the living daylights out of them. And then what they could do is take their authority in Christ and apply the blood and say, whoop, here's a line and you ain't moving anywhere more across that line. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Use your authority. I said, use your authority. He's given it to you. Given it, that's a new word. He's given it to you. Use it. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Well, we got partly done. I'll see you next week. Praise the Lord. And we're going to go ahead and pick it up again. Father, we honor you. We thank you for... For your goodness and your grace, we thank you, Lord, for the word of God and the truth that sets us free. And Lord, if tradition can make your word of no effect, we thank you, Lord, that tonight, by, by just embracing your word and leaving aside the tradition, that, that we're having the full effect that, that you desire your word to have in our life. And for this, we're grateful.